I'm WFAE's David Borax, and this is R&D in the QC. Tarek Bakari and Larkin Eggleston, one Republican and one Democrat who bonded as first-term Charlotte City Council members. Somehow, they both got re-elected, and now we're stuck listening to another season of this amateur hour bullshit. In the first 82 episodes, they talked to a governor, a senator, presidential candidates, and even a journalist or two. Their goal again this season, bringing Charlotte listeners behind the scenes of the city council in one of America's fastest-growing cities. I won't be listening, but for some reason, you are. Larkin, do you know what time it is? Podcast time? It's podcast time. It's episode 106, podcast time. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Friday, October 30th, and we've got a lot to talk about on episode 106 of R&D and the QC. Monday's council meeting was a doozy, and we've got an election coming up on Tuesday, you might have heard something about, but we're going to tell you more. Boom. Nice. Welcome to the show, Larkin. Uh, should we start with uh, a city council meeting unlike any other that we've had in many months? Packed, very, very big ticket items, as always. Uh, and it was somewhat productive. Yes, the productive part, I think, is what made it unique lately. Um, we did. We had a couple of big big things uh, I'll save my favorite for last uh, although they're all they're all good stuff we moved uh, forward to some degree with the Eastland thing uh, I actually talked to somebody today four days later who is a very educated um, civic observer and, and very involved in a lot of stuff who said explain this Eastland thing to me it sounds like you know the city and, and Tepper sports are kind of going in different directions on it and I said no that's not not really the case at all and I do think that some of the headlines that came out of the discussion on Monday were misleading to folks that thought, oh, this, you know, this Tepper soccer thing is, is not going to be a part of Eastland anymore. It absolutely is. Really, the update we got on Monday was that the headquarters, which is kind of a shiny object and has some cachet to it, but doesn't really drive much traffic on the site, is going to not be there. It's, for the time being, at least, going to be at Bank of America Stadium, most likely. But the youth academy that is going to be the real engine in terms of generating traffic over there for the soccer component of this plan is still very much going to be there. And there's still going to be an investment made by Temper Sports over there and, and they'll have a big presence. So that ended up being maybe more of a story than it deserved to be because, you know, full steam ahead with Eastland. I think we're making good progress and the plan is still in place just with some tweaks. But it, it got made into something that I think scared people a little that all of a sudden we were off track again with Eastland. I kind of disagree with you there. And it's not that I disagree in the sense that it's a massive uh, difference as it relates to that deal unto itself. I think it's kind of, it's relatively speaking a, a slight downgrade, but I do think it is material in the sense that I always had a concern is this deal going to be a big enough magnet to re-jumpstart essentially the Eastland circulatory system. Uh, and I, I always had questions in my mind, even when the headquarters was there, like, are people going to come to visit a place and, and make it the kind of draw, the kind of draw Eastland Mall used to be, um, where it would enable businesses to start back up there and restaurants and all kinds of amenities. So I, I always had a concern, but I knew if they were all there and they were working there every day, 
I could kind of say, all right, I, I, while they may not be unto themselves the draw, the fact that that was where their executives, where their team, where everyone was going to kind of kind of be uh, from, from that perspective, it, it maybe had some hope. I, I think that- But everyone, separate, to be clear, is only like a dozen or two jobs that we're talking about for the yeah, headquarters. I'm, like I said, I, I was never like over the top. I just knew that was a material enough heartbeat that I, that I thought could, could evolve to other things. But I, I, I don't have any critique of what Tepper Sports is doing. I don't have any critique in what Crosland is doing. I don't have any critique in what city staff and economic development are doing. I think they're all trying to make their best of a really challenging situation. I just really think that as we step back and look at a new set of hands we've all been dealt essentially because of COVID and what's going on, that we just reevaluate and recognize this isn't exactly the same deal that we were walking in with. And is, is there an opportunity to, to make some tweaks around the edges and do some things as a team together uh, where, where it, it ensures that there is the kind of magnet we're looking for. Um, and to be clear, one of the tweaks that, that is part of this kind of tweaked deal is that as a, as of right now, the city's, investment into this deal is significantly less with, without the headquarters there. And it's not just that that simple a swap that the headquarters in there, so there's slightly less money going in. There are some other details that have changed, but, but largely the plan for this vast mixed-use project over there is still very much going forward. And um, so no need for alarm as, as far as I'm concerned there. The other one that has been, I think, sort of a confusing political football lately has been Brookhill. Um, and we voted on Monday to essentially set aside, and I think your point was valid. You, you made the point that if these other boxes get checked for this deal to come together, the city would undoubtedly support the deal. And I think you're right. Um, Monday's vote, I believe, was more symbolic than necessary. And I, I don't mean that I mean, it was, it was symbolic. It was not, I don't think it was necessary for this deal to move forward, but I think there was a sense that the city didn't support this deal when I think the city's stance had been more, we, we are very eager to help find a solution at Brook Hill um, that preserves affordability there, that keeps residents who still live there today on site. And we were waiting for some other boxes to be checked in terms of, of the rest of the deal that needed to be pulled together by the development team. This, I think, was more of just a clarifying statement that the city does want to be a part of this solution. And so we voted to set aside, I believe it was $3 million, saying contingent upon you completing these other things that you need to in terms of securing your financing and, and all that. Huh? Contingent? Like it's a contingency. Well, it's, it's the time can continue on. Oh, sorry. I missed whatever attempted a joke that was. Um, so I think that we made, we wanted to make clear to the Brookhill development team, to the Brookhill residents, to the community at large, that we are supportive of finding this solution and we want to be a part of it and we're going to contribute to it. Um, so your point was valid. It, we didn't have to take that vote, but I think it was, it was important that we clarify our stance there because I think it was being somewhat misunderstood as us voting that we were against this Brookhill idea and, and we're certainly not. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would agree if the deal was viable, there is no doubt in my mind, this would, would, would do anything other than pass uh, a city council vote. The problem is 
it isn't a viable deal. And I think it's just, I wish people weren't, and I think the media is partially well, to blame for you, this. You, you think it's not as we sit here today or that it has no chance of becoming so? It has chance of becoming so, but until someone figures out long-term financing and, and other factors like that, I mean, it's just like, all we're doing is, is, you know, getting some headlines or potentially to your point, and I'm not going to argue it's not valid. Like if there is confusion that, and I agree, the problem is everyone's kind of pointing fingers and saying, well, it's this group or it's this group or it's this group. Like it's, unless there's a viable fundamental financing part of this deal, which includes the partners by which have to be in it, there is no deal. So it, there's no win in what we did. We literally, in my mind, changed nothing other than if anyone was blaming us, which I don't know if you're paying attention to the details, how you could view it as the city was, is to blame for like the holdup well, so far. It's just, yeah, yeah you, you know how that could happen because no one's paying attention to the details of anything ever. That's true. And I think too, when you're, when you're trying to go out and secure the other partners in this, there is value to having, you know, kind of on paper that the city is, is a pledged partner in this deal. And I think there's value in, it's, it's kind of the bully pulpit of the cities. The city has some gravity in these conversations that if we are out there very explicitly saying we support this, we want to be a part of this, that probably helps them go and secure the other pieces of it. So I don't think it's not ready for showtime today. But I think we needed to make clear that we, we were at the table and we were ready and, and willing whenever it was. And, I, and hopefully this gives them a little momentum to go and, and check well, those other boxes. Well, I, I will say one final thing on this. And I, I am, you know, folks like Ray and folks like that, they're in the, the weeds of this, who's, right? Who's involved with the Community Development Corporation over there. Exactly. So, so I, I am nowhere close to being in the weeds of this. I have no idea what's going on under kind of essentially the packaging by which we see this when it hits our desks, right? And so I'll say this with a grain of salt. I have a hunch something is wrong. So like everyone should have the appetite to do this deal. Like we talk about Noah, we talk about losing um, uh, and, and the situations of folks being kind of mass evicted. And what, I don't think there's anyone on any side of this transaction that's like, you know what? I just don't want this deal to happen which leads me to believe, and I don't know where to point my finger, I just know that a deal like this would come together if it was even remotely close to being viable, which tells me there's some, there's some rotten thing festering somewhere in this. And I, I've got enough dumpster fires that I'm trying to work on and deal with that I haven't dropped in, into that level of detail yet. But there's no other, no other reason in my mind that we would be at this point where literally people are, are just saying it's not viable and kind of pointing at each other and saying, see, 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 like it, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up to me. I, I think a big part of it is that it's just very unique in its circumstances. And I think that's causing the confusion, not that there's some lack of, of willingness on the part of everybody involved. I mean, there is one entity owns the land, another entity owns the buildings and it, it's just, and that's why it's been such a immovable object for so long trying to find a solution for this thing is that um, you don't have the same person that owns the land and the buildings. And so there's that happens though. That, that happens though. It, maybe and, something rotten is someone's not playing ball properly. I don't know. Something I mean, I, is wrong is what I'm saying. Yeah. I think a lot of it is just that it's an, it is maybe it's happened before, but it, it is an odd set of circumstances that, um, that this property is in. And I think that's contributing to the confusion. Well, but either way, we did it. Anyway. We, we succeeded on Monday. Um, 
the last one was the Safe Charlotte plan that came from all the work that was done in the community in the Safe Communities Committee um, that I chair, and we've talked about it, I'm sure, multiple times on the podcast. Everything from, and this it's more even comprehensive than just the plan that was put forward Monday because it involves a lot of things around addressing violence as a public health crisis and addressing the violent crime rash. We just had our hundredth homicide in the city this week, um, which puts us well ahead of where we were last year, not on a all-time record pace, but certainly uh, a record high for any time since you and I've lived in Charlotte, I believe. And so, which is about 15 years. So it's been some time since the numbers have have hit triple digits. But I think that, um, you know, it was nice. We, We passed this unanimously and I got frustrated because there were a ton of speakers who spoke to this. And I tend to believe that if half the people who come and speak on an issue think we're doing too much and half think we're doing too little, then maybe we got it somewhere close to right. But one of the things that I got frustrated about was all these people who were criticizing it for things that weren't in the plan. And so I kind of blurted out like, how about starting with reading the plan? Like, Gotta read the plan. Gotta read the plan. Don't criticize the thing we're voting on if you haven't even read it. And it was very clear they hadn't read it. Some had not read it. Um, so, you know, I appreciated you and Ed supporting it. Ed, you know, Ed and, and you both wanted to take a close look at it and say, I'm not just going to support it for the sake of supporting it. I need to feel comfortable that this does not undermine our police department's ability to be successful and to be safe and to do their jobs. Um, and I think that a lot of what we're doing not only benefits the police community relations piece, but it actually uh, allows police officers to focus more on their core responsibilities and what we actually need and want them out there doing. Um, there's, a, there's a lot in it. I'd encourage folks, and I can post on our uh, podcast Facebook page, I'll post a link to, to the plan for people to take a look at, but it, it takes all of the conversations we had as a council and as a committee, it takes all the community input conversations, it takes a lot of what we've learned looking at best practices around the country uh, and a lot of the discussions that have been going on around criminal justice for the last, well, for years, but really very acutely the last couple of months um, and puts forward what I think is a achievable, executable plan that will actually have an impact on both uh, improving police community relations, but also addressing violent crime. Um, and I'll say this, and and this won't be popular with some folks, but when people decry having any counterpoint type of voice on an elected body, I will say that I think there is value in having people like yourself and Ed, who are clearly going to make sure that something we're doing is not undermining our police department. But when you vote for this, I think that it it opens people's eyes, or it at least opens their mind to be willing to consider that maybe the plan we put forward is not unreasonable. I would venture to guess if there were just 11 Democrats and it passed unanimously, there'd have been a bunch of people who would write it off and say, well, this is probably like some far left crazy whatever, and would have never given it a second thought or considered that maybe it actually is reasonable and maybe it actually is um, fairly balanced and, and can achieve things that are good outcomes for the community, good for the police department, good for, for everybody involved. Um, but when you and Ed say you're supporting it and you say why, I, I think it does lend more credibility to a certain group of the population in, in Charlotte that would otherwise write it off as just like liberal garbage. 
Um, so for whatever that's worth, I, you know, when people say, well, what, what, why do we need any Republicans on these bodies? We need one. We must keep at least one around for that very scenario, Larkin. Agreed. Well, and, but I mean, there's so many things that we vote on that are far less consequential than this right. that are unanimous. And I think that when people see that, they realize, okay, if, if all the Democrats and both the Republicans are voting for something, maybe there's some merit to it. It's much harder to write off a body and the work that they do when people feel like someone is at the table representing their voice, even if the body as a whole is clearly very left of center, um, at least in its, in its political yeah, registration. Agreed. agreed, so. agreed. I, the only thing I'd add to that is um, I, I made in my comments it known that I had some, still some serious reservations about what was in the plan, a couple parts about, um, about some of the dissenting voices um, that were intermingled into this community input group that um, I feel really kind of just got pushed to the side a bit. But at the end of the day, it, to your point, it's, it's a good first step plan. And I, I would actually say that there are some things in there that are, that probably if this was, you know, one side versus the police and it, that, that they would not have done. Like I, a lot of people are trying to say, oh, you know, this is just a couple tweaks around the edges. There's some material things in there that push them even further towards accountability. Um, and and I, I, went, I went forward with supporting it for the mere reason that you can't have a standoff between both sides in a, in a war, in a fight, in a battle, in a debate, whatever, where at some point, one of the sides in good faith isn't willing to say, all right, look, I'm going to buy in. I'm going to move forward because two things are true from this point. One, the work in, in ensuring accountability within our processes in the police department is not done. It, there's much work to be done, as was said by uh, several people that night, and we have to continue forward. And we just made, we essentially just set the blueprint and, and, the, and the roadmap by which we'll get there. And to your point, we didn't say it in a proclamation. We said it in policy. Like you, you either do it or you are breaking policy, which has its own repercussions. But, but I, the other side to that coin for me is, and I've said this the whole time, and the responses back from the chair of the uh, community input group and others, you know, I didn't like it, but all right, it's fair, which is, you know, we came to the table and, you know, we, we decided we'd work with you. Okay, so we work together. And to me, it feels like this street has been very one way. And I said, all right, fine, I'm gonna get on board with this. I'm gonna go down this one way street because at some point in time, you have to- One, way, one way in that the conservative voices in the community input group, you don't feel like we're reflected no, in the, No, but, not even that. One way in that both sides are asking for something of the other side. And we both focus- Both sides in your mind being people who are more conservative and prone to defend the- Don't worry about conservative. Don't worry, I, I mean, those who are pro-police, and support the police and those who are pro police accountability and defund the police. I think we centered our attention on the needs, wants, and demands of the pro accountability for the police on one side of the spectrum, all the way to defund the police on the other. And Although we said, I will say that plenty of the folks who are more in that activist wing of, of the discussion also were frustrated that they didn't feel like their input was really reflected in this plan because and and I and I want to underscore because you use the phrase defund the police. Defund the police is not anywhere in this plan. Um, so just so that, that there's not confusion. It's uh, like it's like Antifa. It's not an organization. It's an idea, right? Well, but it's not an idea that's in this plan. 
I hear you. I'm making a joke. It's very funny. Uh, my, but my point is, if some of them who are on the more fringe side of that felt like they only got half or a quarter of what they wanted, I think those of us on the other side felt like we got zero of what we were looking for. And that's obviously a stupid broad brush to paint with because some of the things that many of us on this side wanted was also more accountability and transparency into that. But I think what we need to start doing is seeing this become a little more of a two-way street since we've shown commitment to wanting to work with that side on all fronts. And what we need to see is a little leadership from the grassroots and the community side so that we know when the next flashpoint happens, because it's not a, it's not a matter, matter of if, it's when. It's gonna happen again. And it may be bad, it may not be bad, right? The, the point is you can't prevent those things in the kind of world we live in and the kind of topic this is. So when that happens, are we going to be unified as much as you can be unified to say, listen, we're going to maintain as much order as we can in our city, not, not stop protest, lawful protest and things like that. But we're, we're joining, the whole point is for us to unite at some point. And if the, the street is one way the whole time, then we never accomplished it. And I'm not saying there's not more that can be done to make sure that our police officers are well taken care of. Uh, and shown appreciation, but I do think that there have been things that we've done, uh, and you led the effort on one of them, which was we have made significant strides in terms of um, getting our officers pay in line with our peer cities around the country. And so in the last two or three budgets, we've done more in terms of uh, bringing their pay up to par um, with what it should be than had been done in, in lots of previous budgets. So I do think there's been there's been some give on that side too. Again, you know, you've, you pushed hard on that. And I think you had a lot of support from the Democrats on council in doing that. So, you know, again, there's more that can be done on both sides, but I think it's a good step forward. I'm really glad it was unanimous. Uh, I do think that lent it a lot of credibility. Um, Ray Sean. Ray, Ray has joined our. Ray uh, Sean, we already talked about you, Ray. Sorry, buddy. We already talked yeah, about you in this episode. Um, um one thing I didn't mention, Larkin, as we transition to the election piece of this, you know one thing I didn't have to do this year? Cancel Halloween. Well, it canceled itself. Yes. <laughs> um, the coronavirus canceled Halloween for you. What, did, what were you even going to cancel it for last year? Was it a hurricane or something? See, look how the, the drive-by media portrays me. I was trying to protect the kids and give them three full days of Halloween. But was it a hurricane? This, yeah, this was the story of a hurricane last year. That's why you canceled it? That's why I canceled it. I'm glad you let us have Thanksgiving last year, though, because I think that's canceled not, this year, too. I'm never going to cancel Thanksgiving. I'm going to cancel things like Halloween. I'm going to cancel potentially Christmas. Never not seen, oh, I wouldn't cancel Christmas. That's not going to play well in a Republican primary. Uh, I, right as it came out of my mouth, I realized <laughs> that was probably a bad idea. <laughs> You're, <laughs> I'm going to just leave that alone. Yeah. Um, you and I recorded a, a little Thanksgiving something that we've not seen yet, but someone else who saw it said it is that our part is more absurd even than we thought it was. When we <laughs> it. Um, they said, they said, we want every council member to do this little video montage. 
and everyone comes up and does it by themselves. But for some reason they said, we want you two to do it together. And we're like, okay, so how do we do it? Do it we was say kind the of words? Like a, it was kind of like a stepbrothers thing. Yeah. Do we like, do we say the words in unison? Do we go back and forth? And they're like, I don't know, like go back and forth. So instead of like saying half the sentence and you said half, we did some trial runs. We went back and forth a word at a time. I bet it was, was very fluid. All right. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure whether I'm looking forward to seeing it or terrified to see it. Election um, edition. Who wins? Somebody in every race. No, uh, you'll know that. Actually, I, I hope that's the case. But so we're going to go through the whole ballot, but we're going to do it quickly uh, because there's a lot on it. So, you, you know, some of these – and we're going to cherry pick the ones that we think are competitive or where we know somebody or have a real strong feeling on this. Obviously, you know, everybody has, has had more than their fair share of discussion on the presidential race. Everybody knows who I'm riding with. I'm riding with Biden and Harris. I'm a little button there. Uh, I'm hiding. I'm hiding from Biden. I don't, uh, I don't care if we talk much about the presidential race because no, let's not, let's not. In fact, I cannot wait for that to be over. I, I will just say this. I, I don't think there will be a clear and definitive winner on election night. And that worries me. Um, so I hope my hope is that the, and not that we have any control over this. I hope the media is very careful in how quickly they try to declare. Yes. Somebody, well, the track record of the media uh, it leads well, me to believe that your concerns will be uh, heated Larkin. Thank you. I mean, I, I think everyone's aware that this could be very close and this could be very contentious and with the disproportionate amount of mail-in ballots that are going to be cast, um, I think there's a lot of races we'll, we'll know pretty clearly on election night. I'm not sure that's one of them. And so I hope that people will <laughs> – I know they won't, but I hope people will be patient in awaiting um, all the votes to be counted. Anyway, um, from top to bottom, so U.S. Senate – no, go low. Go. Let's start with the stuff that we Look, care about. I've got it in a list. It's going to be Fine. easier. Fine. Sorry, dude. U.S. Senate. I think it was Cal's to win. And then I think now. And then he lost it. <laughs> no, I think it's, I mean, he's still polling ahead, but it's, it's dropped a little. Uh, What's the polling at? Do you know? I, I don't know what the most recent polling is. He's still up a couple points, but I think, um, I think that's a toss up race now. And I don't think it was two weeks ago or whatever. Look at Kevin Poirier commenting. God, this is the first time I've been back on Facebook, and I don't miss it a bit. <laughs> Let me tell you what. Councilman Bakari, are you proud of your support of President Trump? The funny thing about that, and this sums up the presidential piece to me, and Facebook for that matter, no one has ever heard me actually say my position on President Trump. And you're going to be like, no, 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 you definitely, I, but you're going to be like, Show me one example in the history of Trump and Tark. Show me one. I, you don't know where I stand because I've literally never said enough. You're basing it on other people around me that have posted things. Wow. That's probably a bad idea. If you're basing it on what you think someone like me, a Pakistani American, I know. Uh, no, see, you don't even know. Great. Then say it. I'm done with Facebook. Go ahead. Go ahead, Larkin. <laughs> All right. You have said it. So that's, and, and the crazy thing is, if that race ends up being like Tillis by a point, uh, you could point back at this scandal and say that was the difference maker. And then, you know, this, it could that play could out deliver, where... Dude, that could deliver North Carolina. I mean, that, that has the uh, significance. Well, I don't think for the, I don't think it changes the, the, opti or the, the dynamics of the presidential race, but what it could be no? is 
that the U.S. Senate could literally hang in the balance of which way North Carolina goes with Tillis Cunningham. Yeah. If Cunningham barely loses that race and we barely lose the Senate. Uh, the Senate be- is probably in reality, when you think about the big picture, the biggest odds. Like the president is just going to be one group and the other are likely just going to be annoyed at each other, uh, uh, vice versa. The Senate is a really, really big deal. And I think people are starting to see how big of a deal the Senate is. Yeah, I'd say the, the Supreme Court hearings solidified that, if anybody was wondering. We've got two, although we'll mention maybe Can we just mention, Amy, we don't talk about this stuff here, but this is clearly part of the storyline of this election. Amy Coney Barrett, I, she just really came off to me super impressive whether you like or hate her politics, super impressive and polished and just like as, as, as many traps as there are for someone to fall down in. And we've seen them on a small scale. Imagine how they are on a big scale. Like just, it doesn't matter what you think of her politics. I, I think we could all stand back and be like, that was pretty impressive um, she, how well you did. I don't want to go very far down this rabbit hole. She is undoubtedly intelligent. I would venture to guess that there are a sea of people who are more qualified for that job than her. But regardless, it's a president's prerogative to appoint somebody, well, to nominate somebody and for the Senate to appoint them. If he had the right to do this, which I actually believe he did, then Barack Obama had the right to do it in 2016 with Merrick Garland. You can't have it both ways. They either both should be on or neither should be on. But I, again, we've got a lot to talk about. Did and I don't you just mansplain where this justice is in relation to other uh, qualified yes. candidates? Yes. She does not have the resume of being a judge that many other people who would be qualified. You can't, you can't mansplain that. I'm sorry. I, you can't. I just, I just larks from your party. You can't, you have to, you have to find it. You have to find a lady to say that. Okay. Well, um, We've got two U.S. House representatives. Congresswoman Alma Adams in the 12th is unopposed. Um, Dan Bishop, your neighbor, is opposed and in a somewhat competitive race against Cynthia Wallace. Um, that one is, by most accounts, a, a pretty pretty strong lean Republican, but she has raised a lot of money. He's uh, obviously not been there very long, so he's not got a huge incumbency advantage, um, and he's fairly polarizing. So Dan is certainly favored to win that race, but I think it's going to be close. And I think it'll hinge a lot on which way North Carolina goes. I think several of these will go which way the president's race goes in North Carolina if Trump or Biden pull a lot of people down ballot up with them. Um, races like this could swing one way or the other. I, I'll tell you one thing, because I, I, the, the Republican that sat in that seat for the last two individuals I've been personal friends with, lives down the street, and I'll tell you, having a view into that, but also a couple other people in Congress that, that I've known, has made me realize the amount of time these, these people spend on the phone fundraising is absurd. It's literally like, it take, I mean, you have to, in order to do that and your job, like as a lawmaker, it, it's, it makes me question like this, the system in like, yeah how they're expected to be on the phone as much as they are. It's crazy. There is not much about the United States House of Representatives that sounds appealing to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, other races that, that are going to be competitive, uh, well, first of all, we have 13 House Representatives in North Carolina. The districts were pretty significantly redrawn. Two of those are going to almost, almost certainly be 
uh, flips from red to blue. In fact, the two Republicans didn't even run for re-election because the districts were so uh, were drawn in such a way that they really couldn't win it. Um, so Kathy Manning and Deborah Ross will likely be part of our delegation after this election. Um, they're unopposed, or I'm no, they're opposed, but but more token opposition. Richard Hudson has a very serious opponent. Uh, though he's still favored to win, that one will be competitive. And then Mark Meadows' open seat, uh, Madison Cawthorn, the 25-year-old uh, young man in, who is disabled, um, is wheelchair-bound, and has been very controversial. But also our candidate has been very controversial, Mo Davis, yeah. uh, for some of the things he's posted over the years. That's gotten to be a really, really ugly race, and I think a pretty expensive race, and that could go either way. Again, I think the presidential race will dictate uh, which way that breaks. Um, so that's most of the U.S. House. Governor's race, this is the one I, if I had to bet money on one of the top ticket races, this is the one I'm most confident goes blue. I think Roy Cooper's safe here. Really? Much more so than I think Cal is safe or Biden's safe to win North Carolina. Um, if I had to pick between Biden, Cal, or Cooper to win North Carolina, I think Cooper would be my safest bet. Well, I guess you're saying that because all the others – so you're just picking incumbents, essentially, is what you're saying. Oh, no, well, you didn't some, say – To some degree, but I don't think – I mean, Dan Forrest – I don't know. I mean, he's he's not a bad candidate. His name ID is not that high. Lieutenant Governor is not a high-profile Remember position. where he spends a lot of his time. It's not it's, – I mean, he comes to Charlotte. I'm not saying he ignores it. Well, and just, he spends and just a lot of time it. in the rural part of the state. Roy, Cooper is out polling Cal and Biden in North Carolina by oh, polls. Uh, remind me how those work again. Well, in these elections, the polls are, are more accurate because there's no such thing as an electoral college for any race besides the presidency. So the polls actually got Hillary's popular vote pretty close to accurate, I believe. It just didn't account for the electoral college well enough. And in these polls, and again, in, in 20. 16, it was showing McCroy and Cooper being neck and neck, and they were. I mean, it's like a 10,000 vote split. Um, I really, I mean, I. How, but let me, so what you said maybe makes a slight amount of sense, but why in the world would the pollsters be calling it by this or that point uh, differential on the popular vote when it's the electoral college vote that, that oh, actually wins? I have, I have wondered that a lot in the last four years. And I don't know why it frustrates me to no end when people talk about Biden's up 10 points nationally. Well, that's not how we elect the president. So why I, the hell I, are we no, talking no. about it? I think they contemplate, most of the good ones contemplate the electoral college piece of it. I think that polling is immensely flawed, especially when you consider it still uses a significant reliance on landlines to be successful. I mean, like, sure, many have evolved to cell phone databases and things of that nature, but like, I, I just, in normal times before 2016, if you had said this was a North Carolina or Mecklenburg poll, I would have said subtract one to two points on whatever they said the Democrat was, and that'll probably be close. And then after 16, I just don't believe it at all anymore. Well, and the polls weren't that far off in 16 in our statewide races. So, and this one, I mean, they've got, they've got Cooper still up by like nine, 10, 11 points. Anyway, I mean, if you want to make a bet on that one, I'm happy to. Um, no. For whatever reason, the, 
on my list here. It's not showing attorney general. The attorney general, I'm, I'm sorry, it is showing attorney general. It's not showing lieutenant governor. Lieutenant governor is a really interesting race here because either way, we're going to have our first black lieutenant governor in the state of North Carolina's history, which is interesting. Um, neither of these people have super high name ID. One, uh, Holly, the Democrat, is a former legislator. And Mark Johnson is kind of a viral video star. I don't really know what his professional background is, but he made some speeches. I think, wasn't it kind of around Second Amendment stuff? And sort of caught fire online and very bombastic, very controversial. But this race, they've raised a decent amount of money, but it's hard to get any oxygen when you've got all these other races we just talked about. No one's paying attention to this. And I have no clue which way this is going to go. It could matter because if the Senate in the North Carolina Senate is split 25-25, um, which is a distinct possibility, this is the tie-breaking vote in the Senate. Yeah, it's a, it's a really big deal. Um, I've, I've gotten to hear him speak a couple times. I, I don't know him personally. I haven't spent a lot of time or worked with him or anything, so I don't have that angle. For people that have, I've heard really good things about him, and it's almost like, if, you, if you've only met him through the tidbits of media coverage and social media kind of things about him, you probably have a very distinct view of either he's the man and a great orator and a great thinker, or he's like a, a, a fringe guy. And I, honestly, I, my gut is, I think because of the topics he's chosen to, to address uh, and because of his oration skills, I think it's a little unfair at, at some of the ways he's been painted is just from my gut reaction and having spent time with him. And I mean, I just personally, I love seeing a black man take the positions he does. It's just, he can take these positions with a type of authority that no one else can. And, and, and the way he understands them and can lay them out, he's not using pre-scripted talking points. He knows this stuff to his core. So uh, that's my, I, as, for the few times I've had interactions with him, that, that's been the level of impression I've had. Um, and I just don't, I don't even know where to begin to make an, an assumption on that race. Um, Ray corrected me, Representative Holly is a current legislator. I think I said former legislator, but she has been one for several terms. Um, Attorney General, if any of these, if you disagree with me, you can, you can yeah, stop me. Attorney General is Josh Stein. I'd say he's one of the safest on the Council of State for. Uh, Who's running government. against him? Um, Jim O'Neill, I believe. Mm, okay. um, who I think was maybe for Scythe County. Um, but that race does not look to be particularly competitive. Um, what do we got here? I've got so many windows open. Uh, Auditor Beth Wood, I don't think there's any real competition there. Commissioner of Agriculture, Steve Troxler has been this for a long time. Uh, he is well known in the rural parts of the state that obviously probably have the most touch points with this. Um, my friend Jenna Wadsworth running against him. I think she's a great candidate. She's a current soil and water um, supervisor out in the Wake County area, but this is probably the one that's going to be the hardest pickup for Democrats uh, just by nature of the fact that, you know, rural North Carolina is probably more engaged with this race and Steve Trotter has been there for a long time. So he's got a lot of name ID there. Commissioner of insurance is one that's going to be really interesting because uh, you've got the current occupant of the seat, uh, Causey, who unseated Wayne Goodwin, who we've had on our podcast as the current North Carolina Democratic state chair 
Uh, that's a rematch of the race from four years ago, which was pretty close. And they've both been in the news. Causey was in the news because he was the whistleblower on the um, – I didn't follow it too closely. Like, well, at, of How the hell I just forget the guy's name? Robin Hayes. He was the whistleblower on the, the Greg Lindbergh and Robin Hayes thing. And, I mean, uh, he got, I think – and, again, I, I if I'm speaking – from a place of ignorance here, someone can correct me later, but from what I understood, a lot of people were like, yeah, he kind of earned some, some ethic stripes uh, out of his involvement with all of that. I don't know the details myself. So I'm, I've, I've heard that said, let's just say, leave it. There. I think that's fair. I mean, I, you know, I'm good friends with Wayne Goodwin. I'm supporting him. I voted for him. Um, but I think you gotta, you've got to call balls and strikes sometimes. And I think Causey did the right thing. And so I, I respect that. Um, worst cause he got it what next <laughs> secretary of state elaine marshall is going to win easily she's the most famous person on the council of state um commissioner of labor's interesting race because uh our arch nemesis on the talent show circuit sheree berry is retiring and so you in that race have got uh, jessica holmes who's a wake county commissioner uh, against Josh Dobson, who I know nothing about. I don't know if you know Josh Dobson. Uh, I've, we've had a couple uh, interactions. I I don't I don't know enough that I can make a make a, a statement on it. He's a either. He, I don't know if he's current or former. I think he's current state uh, house representative, uh, and she's the current Wake County commissioner. Um, both under the age of forty, uh, so that would be a big shift from. Um, Shreeberry had been there for so long. North Carolina Treasurer, um, interesting race too. Dale Falwell, who's been there and been in the news for a couple of things lately, including that he contracted COVID, um, but has, by most accounts, done a good job running against Ronnie Chatterjee, who um, is a really dynamic guy who was in the Obama administration. Um, I'm trying to look to see if I can find his age. I don't think he's he can. Uh, he's younger, though. I don't think he can win that. Uh, 41. No. Professor at Duke. Um, if he doesn't win that race, this guy has definitely got a political future. Oh yeah, I, I, I could see that. I, I just, uh, you know, uh, Falwell's really uh, been a bit of a maverick, and um, and he he goes after stuff and he takes uh, uncomfortable positions, which has made him some enemies. For him to have gotten the Observer endorsement over Chatterjee, I think that I was just. It, it was good, and I, I don't. Uh, Falwell's a great, uh, you know, he's just a he's a good networker, a good guy. Has a bit of a photographic memory, I've heard. Um, and uh, you know, he's just he doesn't, he doesn't he doesn't lack for smarts. Actually, I mean the uh, the combined IQ of that race is just probably pretty high. Well, that makes me feel good at least. Yeah, you want a, you want a high yeah. IQ person, you want being high a IQ treasure right, for sure. Um, superintendent of public instruction. You've, you've got Mark Johnson leaving that seat after one term that I think most people would agree was a tumultuous term. Uh, he ran for lieutenant governor and got stomped in y'all's primary. Y'all are running Kathy Truitt, who's the current chancellor of Western Governors University, North Carolina uh, branch. And uh, Jen Mangrum is running as the Democrat. I don't know much about Kathy Truitt. Uh, I, I know Jen Mangrum a little bit. She's incredibly impressive. Which one's going to send the kids back to school quicker? I assume the Republican. Let's vote that uh, one then. Let's vote that one in right now. But I think that's going to be a really competitive race, and I have no way of handicapping it. 
Um, I think that's the entirety of the council estate. So with, with, there's a lot of judges on here. I think we'll cherry pick two of these that I know we have an interest in because there's not many of the judge seats um, that are super competitive. There's the Supreme Court justice seat, which um, Sherry Beasley is the chief justice running against Paul Newby. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be competitive. But in the local judges, I know you've got a friend who's running in a competitive race, as do I. Mine is Rex Marvel um, running to stay on the bench. And so I highly recommend him. Who's Rex he, running against? Uh, Rex is running against Sonny. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I think, going to be competitive. And Rex had been appointed to that seat, so he is the incumbent, but not has not been previously mm -hmm. elected to it. So maybe not as much of an incumbency advantage. And then you've got a friend running for a, a local court spot as well. Which one? Are there a couple? Where's the list? Casey. What? Casey Visor, isn't that? Oh, Casey Visor. Yeah, of course. Casey's the man. And, and uh, honestly, uh, I, I have never probably come across, I can count on one hand, the people in this town who are like universally just kind of liked for the most part. I mean, obviously, if you're in politics of any sort, um, it's hard contingent that hates you. It's just a matter of like, I guess I measured that by like, do 70% hate you or under 50? And Casey's definitely an under 50% guy. So he wins. But I mean, he got the observer endorsement. I saw that again, you know, observer meeting their quota, very strong. Do you think they, do you think they, they're like, okay, here are the Democrats. Yes. We need to get three Republicans of these 70 people. And then they're like, Falwell, Casey, and I will say clearly the Observer editorial board leans left with their endorsements, but I do think they do a good job of acknowledging, like I just tried to do with Causey, even when obviously Wayne Goodwin is a friend and and someone I I continue to support, yeah. uh, and I think would be they great that. back in that role. I do think the Observer does a good job of calling a spade a spade when I think they did it with Causey. In fact, in that story, I think they look at. Um, you know, Dale Falwell or Casey Visor or whatever, and they say, these are people who are qualified for these jobs. Um, and they've, they've shown a level of integrity or whatever. And so I, I do think that they feel obligated to, to find Republicans they can endorse. So it's not just a, a clean sweep, but I think they do it. I think there's some genuineness behind it. It's not just, well, we have to pick some of these people. Well, I think if they legitimately didn't think a Dale Falwell or a Casey Visor was legitimate, they would not endorse them. And, and, and I'll tell you this, because I have to give the observer a small amount of grace, a very small amount of grace, which is, I, I mean, I've, I've known a lot of those folks over there who've been around, uh, you know, for almost two decades now. And I think what the editorial group that has kind of evolved over time would tell you is, yeah, we lean left because the city leans left, right? And we're kind of, a, a, we try to be a, um, an imprint of, of that. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is the news part of the organization also leaning left. Like if you want your editorial board to lean left, fine. Cause that's editorializing. I have no problem with that. As someone who went to school thinking they were going to be a journalism major and then quickly shifted out of that. I just, I find it very difficult. If I have an interaction with the editorial board and they're, and they feel a little partisan to me or a little left to me, I'm a, I don't have any problem with that in the world because I'm well, a deficit and they haven't like when in the last race and they're like, so we'll give a slight nod to Bakari 
That's a big win for a Republican. Huge win. I, I was like, slight nod. I was like, I was going to put that on my freaking buttons. Bakari, slight nod. <laughs> Give a slight nod and vote Bakari. Um, yeah. All right, Thanks. state Senate. There's five, liberal there's, there's five state Senate seats. Currently, uh, one held by a Republican. That's Rob Bryan. He's not running for election. None of these are particularly interesting except for one. Um, Senator Natasha Marcus, Joyce Waddell, and Mishtaba Muhammad are all going to win easily. Although, uh, to your point about the editorial board's endorsements, uh, they actually endorsed Bobby Shields over Senator Waddell in District 40. Um, uh, we're going to have soon to be Senator Salvador is going to be filling that District 39 seat that was open. Uh, she's going to win that easily. How do you know that? Just, I just do. Uh, fundraising and endorsements and the demographics of the district. These lines have all been redrawn. I don't and the know redrawing of the lines is what makes Jeff Jackson's District 37 seat interesting yeah. and far more competitive. It's A, the far most competitive, it's by far the most competitive district it's ever been drawn um, since he's been in it. And B, he's facing far and away the most credible candidate. Um, he faced an impressive young woman two years ago but it was an un, completely unwinnable district for us. Left field, um, Trotman, young oh, woman. Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's right. I remember that race. She did she a good did job, job, but it was unwinnable, and she yeah. and she didn't have name ID. Um, Sonia Nichols is running against Senator Jeff Jackson. She is pretty ingrained in the community, pretty well known, pretty well funded, and now all of a sudden the district is actually somewhat competitive in terms of the way it's. Drawn. I, it's, it's. I think it's last I checked, it was it went from like plus thirty D to plus two D or something like that. So, that, I mean, that's a toss-up, essentially. And I will tell you, and I, I, I have gotten to know Jeff over the last several years. I like Jeff. I, I, I legitimately like Jeff. I think he's very smart. I've, I've given a little critique before, and it's rich coming from me, you know, but I'll say it again. I think he, being in the super minority or minority, he spends a lot of time kind of soapboxing, and I think it rubs a lot of people on the other side the wrong way. But I've spent a fair amount of time soapboxing this year, so I guess I could no longer say that. I'm going to call this right now. Sonia wins. I, I just the things yeah. I've learned about her and my experience with her, she's I've, dynamic. I've heard nothing bad about her, but I am happy to take whatever bet you'd like to propose. The only here's the scenario by which I think Sonia loses. It's very close, and the. My perennial friend, I've ran against him before, Jeff Scott in the Libertarian Party slices off enough votes that, that, uh, that makes her lose if it's super we, tight. We both like Jeff, but Jeff's not going to get more than 2 or 3% in this race. And this is the most annoying thing about the Libertarian Party. And I say this because I, I in many ways, associate as a Libertarian. But I'm so Libertarian that I'm also a bit pragmatic, I think, in that all it does is serve as a spoiler alert unless you like have something absolutely anomalous in what's going on. So or I unless, think there's, a could green, be a or unless there's a green party candidate balancing out the, the peel off. Yeah. So, so I, but a, I think, I, and, and I will say, I didn't realize until I kind of reread and reminded myself of a few things, just how much Sonia is connected in the community, particularly in, the, uh, the, the money community in, in a lot of the civic work and fundraising work she's done for, for causes. So, um, Interesting other side note about our Senate delegation and third parties. Uh, Senator Natasha Marcus doesn't even have a Republican opponent. She has a Constitution Party opponent. Who knew? 
Um, nice. I like that. One thing I'll say about Sonia is I've heard enough good stuff about her that when I believe she loses, but probably in a, in a very close race, I think y'all need to find a way to make her give her a, a bigger role in your party in this, in this community, because, you know, I think obviously one of the main knocks about the Republican party is that it is, it is, it is not diverse. It is not representative. Are you of, choosing your words right now? <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm not, I'm trying not to be too negative about it, but the fact of the matter is it is considered the party of old white men. And I think when you've got a strong, respected, very intelligent African-American woman who has decided that, that her principles were Dude, reason, how did we let her go? We were supposed to have all those folks to ourselves. I, exactly. I, I don't know how we lost so Ridiculous, dude. But, let me tell you. If you, if you don't find a way to keep her engaged. Blexit is a real thing. If you, it might be. If you don't find a way to keep her highly engaged in your party locally, y'all don't deserve to win races because she is the type of person who can win a race that that we have no business losing as a Democratic Party. And if, if y'all let her wander away if, if she doesn't win this one. Let me, um, let me explain something to you that is the fatal flaw in the argument you've made just now. And it's the same fatal flaw that you guys make all the time. And I, I, I'm, I'll put an asterisk next to this because it means no offense to my friends out there that work really, really hard in these organizations. There is not a Republican organization anymore. We have the MEC GOP, they're great. They work super hard. We have the MEC YRs. We have the Republican women group, um, the Merck group, the Uptown group, uh, the, the Mecklenburg Republican women group here in, in South Charlotte. They all do, they're great. But these groups are basically, they're almost like, uh, uh, you know, what are those things called where you go like, hi, I'm Tark. I've been a Republican for seven years. You know, it's like help groups because we, we, we have what? Two, three people that are elected? like. And, and my point in all this is like, if you don't get her involved, like we're dying here because the city has become so left leaning that the excitement of us, us having an organization that can win from time to time died years and years and years ago. And the double-edged sword, other than us crying ourselves asleep every night about it and debating should we move or not, is this, somehow you guys continue to blame us for what's going wrong around here. It's like talk, headlines, Tark does this and that. I'm like, wow. dude, I, I should be irrelevant. That's all, that's all sensational stuff. But like, I'm just saying the, the young woman that I met, uh, I think I was with you recently, the, the Davidson student. Oh, she's freaking phenomenal. phenomenal. Y'all have some impressive, uh, usually it's women, but y'all have some impressive people that need Why to be. Are you, la you man laughing right now? Are you, you man laughing at our women? No, just most of your men sometimes kind of fall into these stereotypes. Um, my wife is commenting at this point. I'm feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> Y'all need, you need more Sonia Nichols and more. What's the young lady's name from Davidson? Uh, her name is, um, I know her well. <laughs> uh, help me out. I'm sorry. Hold on. I, Davidson, I, her name is, I, I'm, I've, ta I've talked to her all the time. Maya. Maya, that's it. Maya. Um, Y'all need more of them and less of the Robin Hayes of the world if, if you're ever going to have a chance to have a voice in this we city. We just need politically. less of you guys all together. I think that would be a well, nice... I think that ship has sailed. So you, you, uh, uh, Once you guys kind of all... Let me tell you, the worst thing you guys have going for you is that you're in charge. <laughs> so your time is going to come to an end soon. Don't worry. One way or another. 
I like that your wife is trolling us while we live stream. That's what I'm looking at that. I'm like, oh man, this is not going to be good. Okay. Anyway, uh, I'm sure I'll get in trouble for saying nice things about Sonia Maya. Maya. She is Maya uh, She's Jeff's my boy. Jeff's going to win that race, but Sonia's impressive. I don't think so. Um, so, House, there's hold not. On, hold on. Let's make sure we got uh, everyone done there that we wanted to. Well, that was all five of the Senate races. Okay, go ahead. So, in the House, I'd say there are two. Um, Currently, it's 12 Democrats, no Republicans. There's uh, Ch uh, Chaz Beasley's seat will be filled by Terry Brown Jr., who's awesome. We met, we got to know him pretty well. Um, he ran Smudgy's campaign in 17, and then in 19, he finished second in the primary to Victoria Watlington for the District 3 Council seat. He'll be headed to North Carolina House. The two that are really competitive here um, are two rematches and, and four people that we know pretty well. District 98 up in North Mecklenburg, Christy Clark and John Bradford, and then District 103, Rachel Hunt and Bill Brawley, both uh, Brawley and Bradford running to try to win their seats back. Yeah. Races that were very close, and I've got the numbers pulled up here. In 2018, Christy Clark beat John Bradford by 415 votes out of 40,000 votes. Um, and Rachel Hunt beat Bill Brawley by less than 100 votes out of 38,000 votes. He spent a boatload of money in that race, if I recall correctly. Uh, I, I do also want to make a note. Ray has pointed out that um, it, it's been news. Jeff Jackson has been um, – he is in training with his, his reserve group um, for the next two weeks, three weeks, and Marissa is closing out that campaign, uh, much as would, would be the case for you. Uh, you're better off with your with your wife probably being your spokesperson than you being. Oh, your but without a doubt, without a so, doubt, uh, I don't believe the, it though. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go mainstream media conspiracy on this. I think it was all planned the whole time. That's probably a good angle for a Republican to take. You think someone's lying about their military service? <laughs> all right, I well, done. well done, sir. I retract it. There's there's the headline from this podcast. Well, hold on, but that we can apply that to Cal Cunningham though, right? That's okay. Oh, Cal Cunningham shot not, himself in the foot. I, I don't feel sorry. Yeah. Um, Christy Clark, John Bradford, Rachel Hunt, Bill Brawley, those are going to be very expensive, as they were before. Um, very Let's call them. Let's call them. What do you, who do you got? I don't think there's any chance of y'all winning both of those seats back. Really? Why? Why? What are you basing just, that on? I mean, I think there is – Nothing. Well, no, I mean, I think that I think that the leadership in Raleigh probably has more, higher negatives, and I think people want to see – I think Mecklenburg voters want to see Phil Berger no longer be the head of the Senate, Tim Moore be, no longer be the head of the House, and I think that they will want to see Democratic majorities in the legislature, Mecklenburg voters – and they will vote accordingly. And, and I think Rachel Hunt and Christy Ooh. Clark have both done a good job. So they've not done anything to lose anyone's support, uh, as far as I can tell. Right, let's go down the list and, and call a few of them. Let's start, um, let's start, because uh, she's uh, actually on and been commenting in this District 100 race. You and I both know, you know him better, John Autry, uh, Callie Thompson there. Um, any shot that, as you think about the demographics of I don't know uh, enough about race. the new way that district was drawn but john won um Callie, how was ago. it drawn is it winnable 
Well, she's I mean, got to say it's winnable. It was he won with seventy percent last time. He's got high name ID for this he, time. Was he running team. against someone legit? Um, but it was redrawn, so it doesn't matter. Right? Yeah, um, I don't think that there. I don't think it'd be a safe. I think it'd be safe money for me to say. Besides the two we just mentioned, the others are all safely staying blue. Um, Brandon Lawson, still, but there's a, there's the other scenario of a wave. I think we now, have to I would say a wave too. The other two y'all are targeting are Brandon Lofton's seat and Wesley Harris's seat. Those will be close, but I still think that Brandon and Wesley. Um, they if win. I was to stack rank who I thought could upset, even Callie just said that her race is an uphill climb. Well, that's because she's freaking wicked smart, dude. Um, I appreciate her honesty. Um, but that, but she's been working really hard, and we appreciate anyone who comes. Oh, on I'm not knocking here. anybody's anybody's campaign or saying that they haven't. But the fact of the matter is, some of these districts, as is the case in every top to bottom, they just almost literally aren't winnable. And so, whether or not you think that the I right ran person in 2007 yeah. in District One against Patsy Kinsey, and only one of it us wasn't could be, winnable. Yeah, only one of us could beat her, and unfortunately, it was you. So District One lost out. So let's go through. I think, I think if I was to stack rank who I think in this order on that Republican side, who's kind of challenging for seats back or new seats or whatever, I would say number one would be, um, uh, number one would be, oh, this is tough, dude. I got I'm trying to take my heart out of it here. Um, while, while you're while you're tearing yourself apart of that, I will say based on a, a comment Callie has in the live stream, I would like to reiterate that I do think there's value in people not being unopposed, including oh, you and me. Yeah. I think she pointed out a lot of the time these seats, and there's a couple of them this year, are unopposed, and I think we should all have to continuously earn the right to stay in our seats. And so uh, I do think there's value in having opposition, even if it's a almost impossible to win race. Um, so kudos well, the, to the, the reason why it's important is because every two years or whatever your cycle is, it's, it's your time to really come back and whether you do it or not in huge ways or in moderate ways, really reconnect with the voters. I mean, it's, it, you're, it's, you're required to. So when you do that, you're only required to, if you have an opponent, <laughs> but no, e even if you don't, you still do it more. It's just part you of should, the cycle. You're, but you should, but people don't always. Well, but you're, you're good. You go to events, you do things like that. I mean, let's not everyone, but that's it. And if there's nobody there or, or if you just had a primary, you spend your time going to your fringe and, and debating on those sides. And I think it, it, it met, it gives you an unrealistic, unholistic expectation of what your community mandate actually is. All right, so give me your yeah. top three that you think have a chance. I think, um, who would you say the number one of, of those folks are from just a reality perspective? I mean, I think I think Bradford and Brawley are the only two that have a realistic chance to win. So I was gonna I was gonna list them in this order, the top the top three. It was gonna be Brawley at one, and this is a little bit based on demographics, but also some other factors. And then it would be a toss up at two between Bynum and Bradford. I think Bynum uh, getting that getting that endorsement and being kind of painted so. in that light is 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 a good thing. I think I think Bradford is. And it's solely based on the fact that I think the district 
I think Bradford has the best district situation in terms of how it's drawn and who the voters are. Um, I love Christy Clark and I, I still think she, I still think she'll hold it, but I think John has probably got the best shot simply based on the map. Um, I think. Let's go. Oh, let's go. Come here. Who's that? Who's, who's walking to my office with yard signs? Oh, dude, come on, man. <laughs> I didn't have anything to do with this. Oh, Lord. Uh, is that, is that Chase? Chase, please go back downstairs. Don't listen to your mom when she tells you to do things while your dad and I are live streaming. Oh, guys, are you falling down here? What happened? Charlotte, you come on then, too. I mean, Chase came in. This is what happens when we record the podcast from uh, from our home offices. Go ahead. Go ahead, Charlie May. No, you bring your sign over so you can see. Everyone can hey, see. Charlie May. Oh. Charlie May. Dan Forrest, she's like, send me back to school, Dan, please. Run, so Forrest. I'm guessing that's you and Krista crying about wanting them to go back to school. For, no, it's her. Charlie May, do you want to go back to school? Do you want Dan Forrest to send you there? She's like, I don't know about that part. All right. Come on. Get on out of here now. Get on out of here now. Go and get. Whew. All right. So, yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's definitely, you've got a couple of seats that you could peel one back. Um, How did no one run against Carla Cunningham? I do not know. Should I have a primary. Harris can win? Do I think he can win? I think he's, he, he's the favorite to win. I think it'll be competitive. I've just heard that's an interesting race. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I mean, that one and Brandon's are the other two competitive ones, but I think they, it's theirs to lose. Um, not much interesting. Well, a little bit interesting on the county commission. Um, one, obviously, that, that we're paying more attention to than others. You've got three, three mild, you could, you could argue that three of them are competitive. George Dunlap has an opponent, but token opponent. Uh, Mark Jarrell, Vilma Leak, Pat Gotham, Ellis Garber, and Lee Altman are all unopposed. Uh, Jim Puckett is running in a rematch with Elaine Powell to win back his seat. I will argue that he does not have a chance. Why would uh, you say that? Because, and I'm going to try to find it. There was so much, there's so much stuff on these ballots. Um, God, where'd it go? Was I, it, wait, did, I can't remember the results of his race. Well, that's, what, that's what I'm trying to tell you. He got his ass kicked. Um, Elaine Powell beat him by like over, over 8,000 votes out of a, a race with, there was like 70,000 votes and she beat him by like over eight, almost 9,000 votes. Oh, wow. She whooped him. Um, that was not close. And I'd forgotten how Man. not close that was. I don't see, um, you know, she hasn't done anything to shoot herself in the foot or, or lose support um, that I can see. You know, I think, do, I, do not underestimate the turnout of the send kids back to school group of which that district probably has a heavy, heavy desire for. Maybe, but I, I just think, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, Jim and I get along, but I politically, he's an anathema to, I can't say that word well. So anathema. Anathema. Me, I, and I honestly, I'll tell you, I was really, and I texted you and told you this. I was really frustrated when the Vice thing came out that was highlighting a lot of what was going on around the 
city of Charlotte and they interviewed him at Bubba's barbecue. Oh, yeah. And he was basically like bragging about how he helped resegregate the schools. It was gross. And I, you know what, I, he's someone I could have a cordial conversation with, but not someone I need back in elected office. I've um, heard, I've heard deeply that behind the scenes and he won't admit it. Kevin Poirier has been working on his campaign. Spread that, <laughs> spread that around. I'm, I'm going to say that, that word around. Let's see how Kevin likes it. How do you like it now, Kevin? How does it feel? Um, Susan Rodriguez McDowell, who thank God unseated Bill James two years ago. Um, and I'm going to pull up the results there. She's running against Joel Levy. I don't know Joel well. He seems like a nice enough guy. Susan ran against Bill and won by almost 3,000 votes out of 70,000 votes. So she won by like three points. Who did? Um, Susan Rodriguez McDowell beating Bill James running against Joel Levy now. I think this year with COVID has is, is made it hard for folks who um, have not been elected before in terms of getting out there and meeting people and raising their name ID. I'm going to say Susan ought to, ought to be pretty safe to keep that seat. Um, but like I said, Joel seems like a nice enough guy. I just think it's, it's a hard year with everything else on the top of the ticket, with all the inability to get out and meet people and raise money. Um, if the last election was – a referendum on a person <laughs> more than it was a demographic shift, Joel could potentially be uh, in, a, in a spot where he could yeah. you know, have a surprise. That could be competitive. Um, and then the one that's undoubtedly competitive. The main event. Is, is Matthew Ridenauer running against Laura Meyer. I think it's pronounced Ridenauer. I'm just kidding. It's not. It's an old joke. Um, ran against I was like, other... have I literally been saying his name? <laughs> in 2009, when we ran against each other, I was on the radio one day, and they it just started talking about us. And they were like, the guy you're running against, what, what is it? Ride now? Ridden now? I was like, ah, oh, it's been going back and forth all day. It's, it's ridden now. <laughs> well, you just made me panic for a second because I thought I'd been mispronouncing his name. Nope, nope. Um, he, lost to, he lost to Susan Harden by – 1,000 votes out of like 73,000 votes. It was a point and a half race last time. Um, Susan Harden decided not to run again. So Laura Meyer's running. Laura's well-known, well-liked, uh, a good candidate. This one's going to be really close. If, if Republicans have a chance of getting a seat back on the county commission, this is definitely it. Pause real quick. Angela Ambrose is asking what we said. She missed the Sonya race. I will well, tell you. I'll recap no. it. Larkin, or just make her go back and listen to the well, audio. Well, I'm going to recap it for her because I deserve to, she deserved for me to do that for her because she's amazing. Uh, here's what happened. Larkin started by saying, oh, Jeff Jackson, I love Jeff Jackson so much. He's so good. He's so great. And then I said, I also like Jeff Jackson. However, I am willing to wager you that Sonia ends up winning unless there's a scenario where the libertarian. And I said, what would you like to bet? And then he was like, well, I didn't actually mean bet. Then he said, oh, Jeff Jackson, stop talking about Jeff Jackson. All right, so you're caught up now. Uh, go back, sorry, pick back up. You want the real analysis, you can, uh, you can go back and listen to the audio when we post it. Um, so what do we got here? We got a thousand I, votes I, back then. I think it's, a, I think this one's a coin flip. No, no, no. I think, I think the map has shifted away from the Republican Party in that district, but I think Matthew's got high name ID. He's got some crossover appeal, veteran. He's a well-liked guy. Laura's a well-liked candidate. He got, the, he got the endorsement. I hate even saying that, but it's, it's, it's important, though. Well, the it reason the observer endorsement is important is because every other endorsing body 
it, most of them are nonpartisan technically, but most of them have a lean like a, and you know what, I think you know what I mean, but like the black political caucus for endorsing, for example, you got it one time, but by and large, it's always going to be Democrats. There's other organizations by and large, it's always going to be Republicans. So this is really the observer is viewed as one of the only small hand, a very small handful of endorsements that are really up for grabs in a general election. Here's the reason the observer matters at all in any front and endorsements count in this as well, which is all of us, whether it's us and our social media pages, us and our BPCs or our Republican, young Republican groups or whatever it is, we operate in these bubbles. And these bubbles have somewhere between five and at best like 300 people. And maybe there's like a thousand or 2000 versus the observer has this, it, the, and, and these are all echo chambers for, to your point for the most part. The observer has this ability to get to those people in front of them many times that unless we're sending mailers, knocking on doors and, and calling, we don't see or hear from. And they don't see, and we don't get to, we don't get to hear what, what their true, this is that, and I'm not using this word in any political spin, this is that silent majority where you kind of, you think you know what's going on and what they're saying. It's not that they're being silent, it's that it's hard to also hear them because no one cares about city council until they do, right? So I think it's really important in some levels because all the stuff that makes it to us doesn't always make it to that group of people. So it does have an impact and it just depends on, do they subscribe to the observer because they hate it? <laughs> and they're just like, what is, what are the enemy saying? Or that's why, that's why Dan Barry subscribes to it. Dan Barry loves the observer. Every time I see him, he's like, don't tell anyone Tark, but the observer is really, I've been thinking about going and working for him. So who uh, wins? I, don't, I, I literally think it's a coin flip. Matthew could definitely win. I think that's the only one y'all have a chance of taking back. I think that there's two scenarios. There's some kind of wave, again, that Matthew loses. And if it's everything being equal, I think he, he, he definitely wins. And the reason I say it is because I think he came into this race with a chip on his shoulder Whereas he was caught off guard when he lost. I mean, it, it, that was like, literally we were, you know, and I think we, I, he's, he's not the kind of guy who doesn't ever not work hard. But I think when you kind of think you have it in the bag, you kind of approach it differently versus where you're coming in and you've got a chip on your shoulder. So um, I, I, if it is, if everything is equal, I think there's no chance that this guy doesn't win when you combine how hard he's worked on the campaign this time, in, and even in comparison to last time, paired with the endorsement and things of that nature. So it, it would have to be a wave that, that beats him. Um, yeah, they both run, they, they both run really robust campaigns. I think they'd both be good commissioners. That's going to be the one to watch that night. Um, to respond, Angela said, you know, it's not okay for Democrats need to work for the BPC endorsement. And undoubtedly they do. My point is that the, the BPC and some of these other organizations have a really competitive endorsement process during the, during the primaries where Democrats are competing against each other for it. And then I think that the assumption is with a rare, rare exception like Tarek in 2017, um, that a Republican isn't going to be able to compete for that endorsement. So they often don't even try to. The Observer is the one where people tend to assume that it can be had regardless of which party. Let me tell in. you about the BPC. And here's how I really feel about it. I went after it that year. 
And I knew there was nothing standing in their way that would make it a tough decision. They were either endorsing me or, or by not choosing to endorse against me, right? There, there was no one else that was viable. The dude I was running, he's a nice guy. Like he said things that made them bristle up on the Democrat side. So, and I went out there and worked for it hard and I meant it because it meant something to me. And I, and I said it that year, I was like, this is one of the most important endorsements I've gotten just because it's, it's one that I want to be the start of a partnership and a working relationship. And then as time went on, you know, it got more complicated. Then the first time I had like somebody who was even halfway credible, bam, gone, right? So why I keep going back to the VPC is very simple. I don't expect to get their endorsement again. And I honestly, I don't even care. I go back because there is a group of people in there that has supported me and continues to support me. And I want them to know they matter to me. And when I show up, I want them to know I take it seriously that you step out to do this. So that, that's, that's in a, in a nutshell, like I will keep showing up to the BPC things, not because I care about getting that overall endorsement anymore, but because I want to know the people that stepped out for me, and, and supported me and I continue, I know how many votes in the straw poll I'm gonna get every time. It's around like 24. And that's not a bad number, but it isn't enough to win, but that's material enough that I want them to know how much I appreciate them. All right, Register of Deeds, Fred Smith, who I know and like, he's unopposed. He will continue to be a Register of Deeds. And then Soil and Water Supervisor, I don't know if you know any of these folks. I don't know any of them personally, but I've heard lots of good things about Rich George. The key here is do not vote for David Michael Rice. He's crazy. No, hold on. Uh, Don't say that. That's not fair. Oh, it's it's more than fair. I'm just kidding. That dude. Where crazy. does he get like I, I don't understand why this keeps happening? I mean, he's famous. Maybe that's all he wanted. Um, or locally infamous. I don't know anything about the other two, but I've heard good things about Rich George. Um, that's a nonpartisan race. And the bonds. I will say on all of this, go to vote411.org. It's a nonpartisan site where you can put in your address. It'll tell you everything that's going to be on your ballot. You can click on any one of those races. It'll tell you every candidate, the answers that they provided to these questionnaires. Um, it is a nonpartisan. Um, it's the most unbiased site I've found to be able to research all the people on your ballot. Um, and then also <clears throat> the three bonds, the transportation bond, the housing bond, neighborhood improvement bond uh, for the city, for city of Charlotte residents. We'll see those on there. Go to voteyesforbonds.com and you'll get a rundown of all this, the projects that these bonds would fund. There is not a tax increase tied to these bonds, so um, it's not the same as what you saw on your ballot last year. There's no taxes going up if they pass. There's no taxes going down if they fail. City of Charlotte residents have overwhelmingly supported these in the past. I hope they will continue to. The thing that I think is most notable, I mean, they're all important, but um, we put two years ago a $50 million affordable housing bond on the ballot. It passed and we've made a lot more progress than we would have been able to with the historically much lower $15 million. Uh, we've put another $50 million bond for affordable housing on this one and I hope voters will continue to support it. Um, any thoughts on those bonds? Do your homework. Vote yes for bonds.com. You can find out a lot more information on that. Vote411.org. There's no chance those bonds fail. I mean, I haven't even heard there's anyone on an opposition. No organized opposition. Yeah. I mean, this is this is not. There are things we need to do better, but it's all in all, uh, much needed infrastructure projects and things like that. And it is like Larkin said, it's not like last year um, where it was uh, an actual tax, a faulty approach from the from the get go. Um, So as far as voting. 
by the time you listen to this, unless you've been watching on the live stream, your window's closing for today, um, Friday, October 30th. But there is early voting today. If you happen to listen to this as soon as Tarek posted, um, that goes on until 7.30 tonight at all 33 early voting sites. Tomorrow at all 33 early voting sites, Saturday, October 31st, you can vote between 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. If you need to register to vote or you need to update your registration, you need to early vote. You can do one stop, uh, kill two birds with one stone. During early voting, you cannot do that on election day. On election day, Tuesday, November 3rd, you have to vote at your home polling precinct and voting will be open from 6.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. If for some reason you have a mail-in ballot and that is the way you intend to vote, do not put it in the mail at this point. Larkin will come pick it up. No, Dallas <laughs> McRae will try to. You should not let him. You should say, no, Dallas, go back to wherever you're from. I'm not giving you my ballot. Take it to an early voting site. Uh, you can drop it off at a polling place and they will, uh, they will secure it there. Do not try to mail it at this point because depending on how long it takes to get there, it might or might not be counted. Hopefully you've already sent it in if that's what you need to do, but get out an early vote or vote on election day. If you have a mail-in ballot and you don't want to use it, but you want to vote in person, you can just tear it up after you vote in person. Um, but whatever you do, whoever you're voting for, I don't know how something could be more important in terms of a time to vote than this year's election. Um, so do it. I mean, why would, I don't know why anyone would listen to our podcast who's not a voter, but make sure not only you're doing it, but your friends and family and neighbors are doing it because when more people participate, this process works better. Um, so rock the vote. Does. Wait, so man, all right, let, let's end with this. And it's, this is not a political question. This is just a database question. Whether it's decided Tuesday night or into the days, weeks, months, and years ahead, God, God willing, it's not weeks, months, or years. Who wins the president presidency? I think Biden wins. I mean, it's still it's. it's here's the thing: here. it's Biden's jump with the guy. Oh, God but wins. There's a there's a but. I think it's Biden's to lose. I do think that for all the things that were missed in in predicting that Trump had no chance in 2016, I think polling and the way that this is looked at has changed and accounted for some of that. Nope. That said, I still think that we have a false sense of security as Democrats. It <laughs> is safe to win this thing. And I don't, I don't believe that. I think Biden will win, but I think it will be close. And I think Trump absolutely has a chance to be reelected. So anybody who's out there going, oh, Biden's got this in the bag, you've got to be kidding. Like, we all thought Hillary had it in the bag in 2016, and obviously – you know, fell on our face. So I don't know how anyone could go into 2020 and think anybody's got anything locked up. Uh, no one does. And, and everyone needs to get out and vote. Uh, if, if they believe that we need this country headed in a different direction. So I think Biden wins, but I am not taking it for granted. And I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I, are you, you going to predict a Trump win? I, first of all, I have actually. We're talking no about idea. the country. I do. I do think Trump has a strong chance of winning North Carolina. I think if Trump wins the presidency, Trump, Dan Forrest, and Tom Tillis all win North Carolina. I think Trump could pull Tillis across the finish line. I don't think he could pull Forrest across. Possible. Um, I. But it's I. If you had asked me before the last couple, the last couple months, 
I would have said Biden wins. Now I'm back to kind of almost at a toss up because I'm not sure what the defund the police kind of movement and mentality there paired with the kind of the win with the Supreme Court has done to the get out the vote piece. But is that a win to people who are solidly in Trump's base and camp already? Or I mean, I mean, we, 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 being excited as a team. Excited, yeah. But I don't it, think it, I don't think matters. I don't think it brought new people into his coalition. When we're getting when we're getting a bunch of wins in Verdansk, right? As a team, we get excited and it it puts us on the offensive to get more wins, right? So I mean, it's it, it's a thing. It's human nature. So well, I the analogy at best. I will predict that, unfortunately, Biden wins. But I don't think we're going to know that night. And I think we will. I think we will. I think. It, I, mean, I think it, it, I'll give two scenarios. I think Biden narrowly squeaks one out, or Trump has a walk-off win, of which no one is questioning. Uh, did he? Did he? Or did he not win after that? I, I actually think it's the inverse, and I think every model that I've seen and all of the variety of models that I've seen would indicate that the only walk-off like absolute first round knockout type of, of possibility is Biden and that Trump has a couple of paths that all pretty much include having to win Pennsylvania. And I don't know enough about Pennsylvania to know the odds there, but all of his paths are fairly narrow and all include Pennsylvania and he would win in a tight race or Biden could win in a tight race, or Biden could blow him out. I don't. I'm not seeing a, a single model that said there's a path for Trump to to blow out Biden because he he really hasn't got a chance in any of the states that he lost to Clinton. He's got to pretty much hold his coalition together from 16, which he might do, but I don't. He's not picking off new states um, that he didn't win in 2016. So. I don't know. I'm, I'm very, I'm very anxious, and I'm very ready for it to be over. Yeah, it's just, this is what I was going to end on. Here's the one thing I do know: no matter what, I cannot wait for this to be over. I, it is so brutal. And then we can get back to just everyone in the media being fair and balanced across the board. Um, I can't wait. Well, we're 90 minutes in, so I feel like it's probably time to wrap. I think you're supposed to go carve pumpkins. And uh, so I will let you to it, but car pumpkins. Final, final word here is just vote. Get out and vote, um, and then stay at home and watch it on your couch. That's right. Unless you have a way to prevent Kevin Poirier from voting, then do that. If you can seal him in his house, if you can do whatever to counteract his vote, then you have double succeeded. It's basically like two votes. I'm guessing that Kevin has already voted and that half our listeners are going to be Googling Kevin Poirier to figure out why he's your arch nemesis on here. He's not my arch nemesis, but for the one second that I can speak here and he is kind of in the background, I'm, I'm just going to take that advantage. And then I'm never going to get on Facebook again. Facebook, right. it's been a pleasure seeing you again. It's been many months. I don't miss you a bit. I hate you, in fact. All right. Well, no better way to end it there. Thanks for listening. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, check out the Facebook page and uh, whatever else you can do to help spread the word. Get out and vote and we will uh, we'll recap it all with you in a week or two. Peace. Later.